the Worldwide Podcast. I'm your host, Miles Irving, and I'm going to jump straight into discussing the uh, conversation that we've got this week with Thomas Larson, because actually we've had we've had some internal discussion between myself and Joel, who is the uh, podcast editor. And by the way, we probably probably should just get Joel talking on the podcast sometime because you know he's he's he's, he's not uh, he's not just a technical man. He's very much um, you know, with with the heart of what this podcast is about, Joel and I um, talk back and forth, and 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 um, he's you know he's he's an integral part of of what's happening. And really, um, we need to we need to let you hear his voice sometime. Um, by the way, though, you can hear Joel's voice in in written form if you go onto the blog posts on the Forager website. There are some wonderful things that Joel has written there. Um, anyway, to get back to how we discussed this conversation or the conversation about the conversation, which I think is an in- interesting uh, reflexive exercise, um, Joel was a bit concerned that the the, uh, the tone is quite negative um, to do with you know the restaurants and, and the uh, commercial side of the foraging that, that I've been doing and also to do with um, the the uh, the teaching of foraging that sometimes doesn't always have a, you know the kind of immediately transformative effect that that I might hope for and and and, and essentially you know um, I guess I have been almost kind of lamenting which is a I guess a sanctified way of saying moaning but uh, and grumbling <laughs> but but I think sometimes you know the the lament the uh, you know when when your when your foot hurts you kind of say ow and um, I am at the moment very uh discomforted about the possibility that things which which, which seem to be motivated well um end up just being a, a part of the problem and basically i suppose in essence the critique of uh things as they are what do you call it capitalism neoliberalism or even the critique as as we're entering into by putting up foraging and wild food against domestication and agriculture um, which goes a lot further back than the idea of neoliberalism, is basically that the, the critique of that paradigm is that we could be just um, eating the good of the land and basically trusting a sense of, of benign provision that comes from landscapes and, and recognising that that was the way of life of, of our ancestors. All people still living within that hunter-gatherer way of life now, which is basically, you know, it's a matter of trusting that the landscape is providing for you viewing the land as a you know almost like or actually as a, a benign person a sense that it's it's like a mother or another kind person taking care of you but then the sense of your own participation and that means that you know there's a, a reciprocity a giving and and receiving um but basically the industrial paradigm the agricultural capitalist neoliberal however you want to look at it all of those things are basically another approach which means that we earn our bread by the sweat of our brow so we're pushing we're trying we want to make things happen um and we're seeing the world outside of us uh, almost like a problem that needs fixing that we've we've got to somehow make the world give us what we need because we don't trust that um benign provision and and so basically we're we're, we're moving into a situation of of control and and effort and pushing so my um my issue is, and what comes up with Thomas here is, is um, that I, you know, I'm just questioning whether, you know, the initial intention of getting out into the wild and foraging and showing people whether that's, you know, us commercially foraging or us 
uh, teaching people, where as soon as it becomes caught up within that capitalist system, there's a there's a danger that it's it's actually being co-opted in the same way, you know, like as the Who sang in their great song, "Won't get fooled again, meet the new boss, same as the old boss," you know. And and I'm seeing that in in uh, what I discussed with with restaurants that it, it just becomes a marketing tool for the restaurant to to use wild foods, and then um, that the almost sacred act of taking somebody out into the wild and showing them wild plants uh, becomes a form of entertainment, which doesn't do what you set out to do. I, you know, really create a link between those people and, and their own landscapes. It just sort of amuses. And, and I'm afraid the, uh, the, the chat with Thomas is a bit kind of shop talk. That's the other thing that, that, that Joel uh, raised, but, but I guess we've, we've just decided, well, maybe it is a bit negative, but we're going to let it go out. And just so, it's for real you know these these are the conversations that i'm actually having um and um there it is kind of in the raw okay well we'll get on and introduce thomas now although the way we've decided to go with this is is he'll basically uh introduce himself but just to say you know i met thomas at one of the mad symposiums a few years ago and we just spent hours and hours and hours chatting yeah and i've been out to see thomas in denmark spent time foraging foraging with him there and also he's been across to see us which we talk about um you know, and the great thing about Thomas is, is, you know, it's interesting to be talking to him the week after we had John Callis on there with this the emphasis on um, education and being an educator, because Thomas has actually trained in the area of educating kids, teaching kids. Um, and that's been an, an important part of his work in the last few years uh, to, to bring the foraging element into that, which I think is, you know, it's, it's really interesting. And it means that he's touching all of these bases. He's interacting with the um, the chefing world, he's um, broadcasting stuff on telly, uh, but he's also down on the ground just doing basic wild food education with kids, which I think is uh, is just fantastic. So, okay, let's let's get on um, to the conversation with Thomas. So I'm delighted to welcome Thomas Larson to the World Wild podcast. Hello, Thomas. Hello, Miles. Well, it's good to have you here. And, and we were just discussing the fact that you would probably do a better introduction to yourself than, than I can. So... Let's start out by you telling everybody um, who you are and what you do. And well, yeah, maybe I can. Well, I'll try not to get caught up in old memories. And no, well, I'm Thomas Larson. Old memories I, are good. That's fine. Yeah, <laughs> um, I'm Thomas Larson, and I do foraging for a living in Denmark. I started out way back as a child with mushrooms and a bit from the sea and that, and then. I mean, to cut it a little bit short, I introduced the orange carpenter ant to Noma back in like t almost 10 years ago. Mm. And um, that kind of changed my life because I suddenly saw uh, that I could make a living out of being in nature and providing wild food for restaurants. And So you were the ant seller. You were the original ant seller to Noma. I'm the actual ant man. The ant man. Yeah, I can live 50 times my own weight as the ants. <laughs> no, I can't. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I did that. So I think I just grew up thinking about food and like anything. If it's not poisonous and it's not shit, it, it's food, potentially. Um, so I've, I've been thinking like that. And what has happened in Denmark with uh, the whole new Nordic revolution and Noma and everything, just... That was just my time, and it's still my time. Um, so I'm having a blast providing for restaurants. I have written two books within the last uh, three years. 
I've done podcasts in Danish. Uh, I've done a lot of TV. I've done tons of walks and talks, and I've been in, involved in a few different projects. Uh, amongst them is the Vild Mad project that came out of the organization Mad related mm-hmm. to Roma. Um, yeah, and I mean, I do so many things now. I've made a few bottles of gin, and I'm working on developing some wild kombucha with the company. Um, so, and I've been representing the Denmark in abroad, and I traveled a lot. I've traveled. I visited you a few years back, and um, yeah, you did. So, yeah. And I think actually, maybe you should look at us doing this podcast together. Now is like um, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm kind of a fan, but I mean, I feel like equal, but a fan. You you kind of opened up this world. I, I would say that if you hadn't done what you've done, I might have had a different life. So I'm quite grateful for what you've Crikey. done. Oh, wow. Uh, um, you got stopped at the airport on the way out after you visited us, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, that's because I'm, I don't know. I'm a forager, so I, I carry a knife now and then. And I, I, I can't remember. I think it was... I put it in my my checked-in luggage, but then I think it was raining or something, so I pulled out jacket from the bag and brought it. <laughs> and then apparently my knife was in that jacket. It was so, it was quite a big knife, wasn't it? Nah, it's not, it wasn't that big. It wasn't. I mean, I, I don't think I could hijack a plane with it. Um, but anyway, two solid guys took me aside, bringing machine guns, and brought me into a small room and left me there for a while. Had a serious yeah. chat with me, took the knife, and I they let me go back to Denmark. Actually, that has happened quite a few times. Not quite a few. At least three. I brought knives. I mean, not deliberately, but it just happened because I have knives in bags and in jackets and in pockets everywhere because I, t- I tend to lose knives. I'm not. I'm not really good at taking care of my gear, so. Things disappear and then they reappear, and sometimes that's on airplanes. <laughs> yeah, the same things happened to me. I must say, quite a few times I've had a knife in a place where I shouldn't be, like going into a, a courtroom, for example. <laughs> yeah. And and yeah, I've usually got one um, when I'm. I just usually carry a knife because you never know when you're going to find something. I try and carry a knife and a, and a small bag or something. Just you, you know, if you. Exactly. You find something you didn't expect to find. You want to be able to cut it properly. And, I do. Really, I guess it's kind thing. of weird, isn't it? We, we we have this benign intent to uh, to forage. Um, I I think it's um, yeah. It's definitely so much in my DNA. I I'm literally talking to you, looking at the window. Even though I've looked out that window so many times before, I'm always like in. I don't know if it's a hunt, but I'm always aware and I was looking for something. I'm always thinking about the next meal that I'm going to make. So to me, it's all food and it's about making delicious food. And so, so that's what I'm thinking about all the time when I'm out there looking. And I can't, I mean, I, I do it on the highway. I do it sitting in a train. I do it wherever I am. And and I mean, I have this hashtag that I use, which is "wild food is everywhere." Yeah. And literally, wild food is everywhere. Yeah. So so I mean, you're you're saying about that it's what you're thinking about all the time, but I think that it's also what you're not thinking about all the time. 
I'll explain what I mean. Like it's it's you know it's things catching our attention even in our peripheral vision, isn't it? You you get to the point where you're so geared up for noticing stuff in the environment that you're not even consciously looking. Do you know what I mean? That's I, th- I think that's one of the interesting things about it that that you've you you once once you start um, on this journey of recognizing and gathering the plants, it's almost like your brain never switches off again. <laughs> That you're constantly scanning when when um, when your eyes are open, you're constantly scanning for. Yeah, you can, I, I can't. I mean, it's not a, there's no turn off button. It's, yeah, it's there all the time. And even, I mean, even that. I mean, sitting here looking at the window, but it's also the knowing, the the reference of being, be, having being uh, uh, like an active scanner of wild nature for years then i mean i think about last season and i think about what might be out there at this time of year it's like early september we've had a a sep like flush and now maybe there's another one coming because right now it's raining is that enough rain so i'm thinking about the future how 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 will this affect a certain area that i know how will how about the heat would that be how would that have consequences for this and that plant or for the mushrooms or i mean i'm 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 my mind is somewhere else all the time as well so i'm here but i'm also thinking about all the delicious wild plants out there in in this area i mean i'm not thinking about what's going on in kent right now because i have no sense of that or or in greece or in italy but i have a quite a good sense of what's going on here and i mean and even that that sense which is mine and it's inside me but it's also being affected by all these social media because i know other people and i know what they're doing and they're they're showing me what they're doing so so i I have so much knowledge i i I mean i don't even have time to sit here do you know what i mean it's stressful it's fomo i mean it's like i have wild food fomo almost year round you you too i mean you you know what what's going on in your area and you know what what's not where you know all the places where well, you're not right now yeah i'm going to potentially be the wise old uncle here uh, thomas <laughs> <laughs> okay you can be that <laughs> well it's just that i know exactly what you mean mm-hmm the fear of missing out thing. Um, I just feel like I'm, I'm kind of getting over it a little bit, but just because of slight shift in, well, slight shift in objectives, I guess. Or, or um, so you know, there's that thing when, you know, when is when is enough is enough. When, when is enough enough? And and I mean, I know I'm I'm just the same as you. If I'm out picking seps mm-hmm. or some other kind of mushroom, I, I I don't think there is any such thing as enough in in terms of you just want to have that experience over and over again of finding that perfect set and and, and bringing it home and, and if you know there's a home for it in terms of you can store it or um or you've got customers that are, are wanting it you'd think okay we'll we'll just keep going with that yeah because it's just it's just such a delight and especially when you've got past the, the kind of objections that people are understandably raising about that sort of thing saying oh you know aren't you aren't you doing damage but the thing is we know we're i mean i guess i'm feeling a bit on the back foot and that's why i'm saying this i'm aware people are going to be listening to this and thinking why do you want to take 
keep keep taking more stuff. But the thing is, we're we're only taking the good mushrooms, which means the other ones are still there dropping the spores, and there's millions of spores, and um, there's plenty for the other wildlife because we're not taking absolutely everything that that's that's there, and and we're leaving other stuff behind. We're not we're not hurting nature. We yeah. are. I mean, as I, I mean, we've discussed this before, and I mean, I, I generally believe that it is more wrong not to be out there than mm. to be out there and do what we do Absolutely. i think that we are animals you're yeah. an animal i'm an animal everyone out there listening you're animals and and we should be clever animals because we're, we're quite a few by now but we should go out there and take something we should act like the animals because we're kind of written out of the story and we should be out there and taking some nettles and maybe even cutting them to the ground to make access for other plants to have to thrive and get some uh, light and because it's I mean I meet not so much anymore but I still meet people saying no you can't nature don't touch it it has to be wild you can you cannot be out there and and being an uh, human animal out there is wrong and I'm I just disagree I think we should, we should go out there I think people do a lot of wrongs but being a forager going out there and taking some of it that's not wrong what would be wrong would be to go to a beach and take to to buy the root and take every little plant of beech mustard in june that would be wrong but waiting till july and august and taking one third of each plant taking it back selling it to someone or eating it or sharing it or whatever distribute it and then just use it that's not wrong yeah no i agree um so i'm i'm just holding my thought that 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 we started out on so we've gone on a bit of a caveat there to just make sure everybody sees the 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 perspective from which we're um tucking in as it were to the to the wild bounty but like and in terms of this fear of fear, fear of missing out thing the the thing that my, my particular version of that in the last few years has been like all the big harvests that are out there like the, when the when there's a big acorn uh, yeah. Yields just everywhere, and the cars are driving over them, and people are walking over them. Um, yeah. And the hawthorn berries are just pulsating out of the bushes. Yeah. It seems like with, with this just vitality and 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 this offer, you know, the bright red is saying, "Here am I, eat me," yeah. you know, and, yeah. and the abundance of it is saying, "And eat, 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 eat a lot. I'm here." Yeah. And we go into the winter, and they're still hanging there because you know we we don't have a use for that many. Hawthorn berries, and that's the that's the thing that bothers me is that is that 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 there is this um, fecundity, this kind of to me like this gift which uh, which is being left on the plate to go cold and stale in in a way. I mean, I know that's not true because it returns to the ground, but like this kind of cycling of nutrients, which which is um, all set up with the abundance of of wild nature, that this stuff kind of comes out, comes bursting out of the ground, bursting out of the bushes and the trees. And it's supposed to be then picked up and and um, and redistributed. Yeah. I mean, obviously, for the plants, that's part of that is that they're expecting the the, the acorn and the and the hawthorn berry to be moved somewhere else in order for a for a tree or a, a, a new tree or a bush to to grow. But you know, the sense that I have that this this um, participation that we used to have in these cycles. Yeah, yeah. That, that was so functional. It was so beneficial, you know, that we we participated in the life cycles of these plants, 
and the whole environment thrived. We thrived health-wise. To me, there's there's this sense of um, you know the need to tap into that abundance um, in order to almost right the wrong, you know, to repair the the breach between us and and the land, you know, which is which is why I personally feel of all things that's the that's why it's the right thing to do to forage because we we, we are like the the first first um, we're like the sort of re pioneers. I say re pioneers because obviously this this has all been done, but like we're sort of re pioneering being part of the landscape. So you you know you and I are, are kind of almost the first on the scene to start tinkering around to repair this kind of tear and and, yeah. and sew it all back together. But you know seeing that kind of potential for 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 all of those things to be used and and then seeing for me my role I just think is is to kind of initiate that that um well just that sort of honorable and polite response to all of this superabundance to say yeah thank you very much we will make use of it thanks for laying that on the table yeah. we can now <clears throat> sit down and eat and so every year i'm thinking i still haven't cracked it with hawthorn berries i still haven't cracked it with acorns how could we find a way for this to be utilized and become part of human culture again so uh, that that was my thing i was getting bogged down every year with um research we're doing it's not reaching that point where we're, we're actually solving it you know um yeah. i think i've got to you know i've got to do more with where acorns i've got to do more with and then the next one comes and i'm thinking oh no we haven't finished with hawthorn berries yet and 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 it's that that was my kind of fear of missing out thing that there's this opportunity each year to work with these things and yeah. then and then it would be gone so soon and also even in the midst of it i'd be thinking about the other one that's just come in it means that so i think it's the same thing as this brain scrambling thing of if you know about this and you know about that and you know about the other where where my kind of uh, wise uncle advice is going to kick in here thomas mm-hmm. i just realized, well hang on a minute you know that oak tree doesn't behave like this the oak tree is not sitting there going, oh, no, it's going to be harvest time soon. Oh, no. You know, it just doesn't come into it. No. And what we're tapping into is is to be more like a tree, fundamentally. If we're foraging, we're going to be more like a tree. We're going to be more like a landscape. We're going to be more like a hill, a forest, a, a, an ocean. Do you know what I mean? That, that, and that ultimately, not even ultimately, sort of as soon as possible, please, I am kind of expecting that the fact that I'm engaging with landscapes, forests, mountains, etc., or ought to have that effect on me, you know, that I don't get caught up in, in, in the new rat race. It's called the foraging rat race. Do you know what I mean? This is ridiculous. For me to be sitting there getting stressed out about harvesting acorns. No, something's wrong here. So uh, my advice to you, Thomas, is be more like a tree. Thank you. Well, actually, I, I feel more, I mean, it's not FOMO. I mean, I'm 47. I'm not, I'm not that young anymore. So I, I, I mean, I, I will. I know there'll, there's going to be another year. The uncle is kind of taking over a bit, a, a little bit. The uncle. I think that. I mean, what? Right. I'm looking. I'm looking forward. For... <laughs> Come on, uncle. You tell me. Yeah. Um, but I think that. I mean, the the way to. I mean, you think about. When you when you spoke about utilizing how to how to work with the hawthorn or with the acorns, I think that you and I and I think we are on on the same team. If we, if we win this battle or whatever we call it, that would be when when people um, t- start doing it themselves, sort of taking yeah. us out of business or whatever. Yeah. Like if everybody knew that that would be the end goal, sort of right. There's no need for you and me because people know, right? Yeah. I think that the whole food system, the way that we distribute food, the way that we produce food as a global society, 
is crazy. And I think that the one thing that you can reduce it to, which is the most crazy thing, is that the empathy has been completely lost because there is such a great uh, distance from people who produce food and people who consume food. Nobody knows where things come from. They travel the world, they are produced in closed barns around the world and put in packages saying, telling this glorified, beautiful story about old farming, but not a lot of people are actually doing it. And it actually takes a lot of effort to get to the real good produce. I think that in in that sort of journey from, which is not, I mean, it's quite a short journey if you look upon the, the history of mankind, then it's like maybe just a hundred years or maybe even less depending on how you look upon it. And, 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 and in that time frame, we've lost the empathy for like more or less every living creature not you and me and i mean there are a lot of good people out there but it's like it's a financially based system that's only about the yield and the amount of money and the competition and 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 to be honest i i don't want to be part of that and i mean i've even had like um invitations to do something bigger and people meet me and say, ah, then you can make someone do what you do and you can do something else and you can be bigger and more. But to be honest, I'm not interested in that. I'm really enjoying my life. I do what I do. I'm very close to things. I know that every decision that I make in, 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 in my business is good. And I try to encourage people to be, I mean, to have maybe not love, but some sort of care in whatever choices in how they get food. Because you can get food that are, that's been produced in a, in a better way. Foraging is going to be, I mean, a key for empathy and care in the way that we produce food. It's going to be a part of, I mean, for people, recreation or connecting to the land or whatever you would want to call it. I think it's something that we all need. But I think it's also going to help us actually understand the way that we produce food and how we should change that. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah, no, I do. I, th- I think if, if, if people are having that active participation and just some small aspect of what, they, what they're eating and, 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 and that involves actually noticing and being involved with um, some part of the ecology around them people are confused like when you look upon nature there's so many i mean the more you go in the way it seems to me is like the the more you get into big cities the more concern and awareness about how about nature and 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 food in in every way yeah that's what i mean and i mean the way that i see it these days um i think you can reduce how you look uh, upon nature and uh, how to how to yeah philosophies of, of nature. I would say there's one which is like uh, the farmers way they look upon it, like and and that's related to to religion uh, in in history. That's like you you here's the land you can take it and do with it whatever you want. And the second one is a kind of a new one, and that's more like I mean that's a, a lot of food uh, or, or land or nature um, people that are like they, they look upon nature as a victim 
that we should help. So we should sow some flower seeds to help nature, to help the bees, as an example of, of that. Uh, or we should work um, and make to rewild nature. And then there's like where I would I would take you in for for that uh, perspective, and that's like you and me. And we're more like we're animals. We're part of it. We yeah. should be clever animals. We should be part of it. But listen, we don't need to make nature. You just step back. It'll happen. It takes time, but it will happen. If you leave a field, things will happen. You don't need to sow different certain kind of flowers for the bees or a certain kind of because it's so complex and we don't even understand it. So the best thing is just to step back. Well, I would say the best thing is to is to genuinely participate. We've now got this thing that you've just described there, this this um, conservation activity where people are going out and acting on the world around them with a view to making, as you say, kind of making nature happen. Yeah. Whereas what any other species does is it occupies its ecological niche. So doing your bit for the environment, as people say, I mean, that's that's an English phrase. I don't know. Oh. If it would ring any bells for you, but we, we 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 have little things, you know. Oh, don't use too many paper towels. Do your bit for the environment. And all this. Oh, we don't. I'm not sure we have the equivalent of that, but I understand. It's a kind of a it's kind of a perhaps a peculiar English mindset behind it, you know. But but um, I see the point. I, I see the finger, uh, the, the 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 pointing finger that sort of uh, needs to be when you when you say that sentence. It's like a school teacher. Yeah, yeah. a bit for yeah. Do your bit, yeah, do your bit. Whereas, whereas, I mean, it, it always makes me kind of just shake my head in, in, in disbelief, really, because the thing is, you, you, know, <laughs> you know, don't use too many paper towels, but at the same time, you're still burning fossil fuels, you're still eating industrial food, you're still, you know, and then somehow not using too many paper towels is going to... Be the solution of the whole thing, <laughs> probably, yeah. Do your bit to, to reduce our paper towel bill. But yeah. anyway, the thing, the thing that... The thing that we we do in order to in order for nature to happen is, as I say, is, is that we occupy our ecological niche. Every species has evolved to be a functioning part of an ecosystem, and that means you know the ecosystem thrives because they're there. Yeah. And and you know you get this concept that the um, ecologists have come up with called a keystone species. Yeah. There's a certain species that because they're there, everything really thrives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and it's it's obvious to me that that we have occupied that role in the past. Yeah, if you, you know, like I mean, people listen to this podcast often say this several times, but I think it bears repeating anyway. I've heard it before. Yeah, you know, the the, the you know the, the 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 biodiversity hotspots on the planet are all under indigenous land management and currently burning as we speak, um, thanks to the insane uh, president of of. Uh, Brazil. Brazil, given the go-ahead for people to just land grab, but and, and, you know, no need to indigenous people anymore. Just set fire to their forest, and they'll soon run away. And you can just move in with your cattle, and so mm-hmm. on. But but like the, the 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 indigenous land management paradigm is is the one that we desperately need. And it's amazing to me that you've got things like the World Wide Fund for Nature, uh, whose name we deliberately parody with the uh, the World Wild um, podcast, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know they're they're actually against they're at odds with indigenous people in spite of their formal statements to 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 say how they respect and blah 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 but in practice they're they're in competition because you know if if uh, if indigenous people manage the land then we don't need to give 
our money to the World Wild Fund for Nature, and they won't have executives paid obscene amounts of money and all of that anymore because indigenous people do it for free you know if we just support their land rights and and let them get on with it on the one hand and on the other hand you know in the um in the developed west we can start thinking about how can we become indigenous again you know how how can we how can we participate in these landscapes you know I, i do think thomas that there's a way forward which uh which which um Tor Nortranders was mapping out the territory, I believe, when he gave that talk from Wild to Tame and back again at the first Mad Symposium, you know. Yeah. But there is there is a way that we could use all of the capacity that we have now as advanced technological um humans. You know, we we could be finding a way to occupy a, an ecological niche specific to there being nine billion of us on the planet. You know. I'm not saying that you, you know, it's it's an ideal situation for for us to face that challenge. Obviously, for nine billion of us to live well in 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 a, on a planet where the ecology is 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 thriving, that's a very challenging thing from where we're starting from now. And I think if we were to set out the ideal problem, we'd probably say, well, you know, one billion, that would probably be kind of workable. But I think the fact that we're going to have nine billion, we have to unless unless we commit sort of the worst kind of treachery, which is which is willing our own species to have global catastrophe so that the population is reduced. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone seriously will that without you've got to be slightly deranged to wish that your own species, you know, gets. gets yeah, it's kind, kind of, of a hard decision to make. Oh, who, 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 I mean, how? Who, well. who, would, who would just <laughs> maybe we all just all just pick a straw and. You know, half the population commits suicide. I mean, how do we do that? So I think we've got to start with the with the thing of like, well, we have to try to to work out how could nine billion people live with with a in an ecological niche. And this is where I come from. Why I say we have to go back to being hunting hunters and gatherers, um, in a sense, Thomas is 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 that anything short of that is 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 a complete disruption of the ecology of our planet. If we are using the current paradigm of um agriculture to produce our food and in the industry to produce our um our uh, the rest of our stuff we have no choice but to just to, to land grab from wild nature and what we need to be doing at the moment is reverse the ten thousand year year old land grab um and, and that means everything's got to go back to the wild so my question is what you know? What would that look like? And then it's very interesting that you say it's the people in the cities are most concerned. I, I think that's really, really interesting because to me, to me, our objective needs to be how to make a city as biodiverse as the Amazon rainforest. Yeah. How can we do that? An actual city full of people, full of buildings, full of streets. How can we do that? I think I'm actually I'm 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 working with a lot of different people. I'm working with some architects as well, uh, and I mean I think that these things are happening. I mean, it, I mean I think you and I could I mean we could come up with a with a better plan for 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 this quite quickly, but it takes a while for people to get adjusted to maybe the thought of no we should not have cars and streets mm, yeah small streets but then there'll have to be something else in between and part of it and when i say that we should step back i think it's it's stepping back from uh i mean uh very hard 
agricultural use. And I, I, I also yeah, yeah, yeah. strongly believe that the perspective of hunters and gatherers should be the one that changes the perspective on agriculture. I think that's how, how I would put it. Because, I mean, if you think with the empathy that I, I think is a, a part of what we do, if you look upon agriculture with that perspective, you can't be a part of that. Because I mean, you can be part of some some of it. I mean, and and I think maybe I mean it's quite funny. But Denmark has I mean, Denmark has been kind of a hotspot for foraging for a few years because it's been so related to to the uh, gastronomic uh, scene. Um, but we're a small country. We're a farming country. But we have quite a few farmers that are really pushing forward to another way of farming that sort of leaves room inside the field or on the edges or on the roof or in the soil, wherever. I mean, for wild nature to thrive, being it plants or mushrooms or birds or insects, whatever. I mean, just, I mean, accepting a, a lesser yield, accepting, I mean, small bites of bugs on the leaves, whatever. And, and and the customers, and that would be the city people, they're ready for it. They can accept that. They don't need perfect food with, I mean, I mean, if you ask them the simple question, do you, do you want me to use pesticides and have perfect leaves or you want me not to and have maybe a few holes here and there? They'll say, I mean, that's not even a question. They'll say, bring me the holes. I don't, I don't mind. Well, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's an interesting aside to be said there. The, at the first Mad Symposium, there's this guy um talking about plants and how they have a form of intelligence and how they respond to things and and <clears throat> one of the things he was saying was that um a lot of the um plant defenses are either flavor chemicals or bioactive compounds so that when it when an insect um attacks a plant it then kicks in with more of these compounds so yeah. in the case of something like watercress yeah. when, when these little beetles come i don't know if you get them there but we we get to a point where it's full of holes Mm. because of these tiny little beetles eating the the leaves but of course that watercress is more um is more tasty it is i've never noticed that and i've collected i mean tons of watercress i I need to look at the the watercress is looking beautiful right now i guess the beetle it it comes in like maybe late june or july is that yeah yeah, yeah, you get it too. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. But but at that time of year, the watercress is more the fibers. It, it yeah. has smaller leaves. In the, and of course, it has it's flowers. It's flowering. It's around about the time it flowers, isn't it? Yeah. It's... yeah. But right now, the watercress is very watery. It's huge and it's abundant. Like I mean, I get tons of it. Yeah, you've got those fantastic stems. Yeah, I use that a lot as well now. I think I got inspired by you to use that. Yeah, I think. We were using the stems, but we got especially inspired by by the the story of Noma sending back the leaves and using the stems just to make a point. <laughs> they got they got they got stems from the you know quite stemmy watercress from the supplier, and they picked the leaves down, and sent them back, said, "Yeah, we don't need this bit." <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. It's nice that turning its things on its head, sort of. Yeah. Um. I I I want to tell you a story. Um. On a completely different note, um, uh, something I experienced, in, and I think it's a story that says a lot about how how I look upon myself, because I I mean I was 
came into the scene of all this with a lot of, I mean, the attention that you get as well from media, whatever. Um, but I, I keep saying that, well, I can't tell whether I'm, I'm super modern or super old fashioned. And um, three weeks ago, I was in, in Russia uh, doing a dinner with a restaurant called Pion that are very inspired by what is happening in the Nordic countries. They use sort of the same ingredient. I, I kept talking to them about making like something more new Russian, taking that tradition and making it and, and skip the, the Nordic Scandinavian tradition. Yeah. But anyway, we were out uh, foraging, doing some video things being like modern Russian chefs and me traveling from Denmark to Russia to do this thing. And while walking out there, suddenly we we were foraging for uh, some birch bullets and there were a few saps and jurols. And then um, I was talking and doing doing different things. And then in, 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 in there between the trees, I suddenly saw a group of maybe five maybe 60, 70 year old Russian women doing the exact same thing that we were doing. They were foraging for the same mushrooms, doing the same thing for food, probably enjoying it, probably it being in their, I mean, in their bones. They've probably been doing that all their lives. And there we were, being the modern gastronomic orientated foragers and chefs. And then they were just doing, living their lives. That's how I feel all the time. I, I do what I do for from both perspectives. I do it because it's in my bones. I love it. I can't help it. I, I can't. It's not a choice. And then I also have this other thing, which is more gastronomic or adventurous or modern and orientated or, I mean, for attention. Do you know what I mean? Oriented for attention. What you what you mean to people? I, mean, I, I, I love doing it, but I, I I mean it's it's I just do it because I I I mean I've been doing it from back in the days when it was not fashionable. I mean it used to be. I mean you twenty years back, fifteen years back, do, doing what we do was not fashionable in any way, and now it is. Do you know what I mean? Well, I do, but I have concerns about that. Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> Tell me. Yeah, I do wonder if it's all been a terrible mistake, you know, sometimes. Um, yeah, I know. Uh, I mean, I don't really think that. I just think we've got to push it through to to the genuine outcome that we, we might be looking for, because there's yeah. certainly a lot of um, not the genuine outcome happening. I mean, basically, I just think, unfortunately, you know, for me, the whole wild food thing has all of this potential towards getting back to just a better way, you know. And it's a, it's a better way in terms of our our own personal you know human nutrition. It's a better way in terms of our relationship to the landscape. It's a better way in terms of you know you know I'm fully persuaded you know that the the wild plants are are a common good you know. Mm -hmm. So in the long run, if everybody gets into this, far from it being this kind of mad scramble and and kind of conflict there. Um, the potential is that we start talking to one another and, and managing common resources, and then, and then the the um, the sort of recreation of culture, which is I guess what I'm talking about with that Hawthorne and and um, and Acorn dilemma is, you know, like how do we recreate the culture, not just for how to use the stuff, but everybody getting out and gathering it at a certain time of year. All of those good things are, are, are where the you know 
the fact that you can eat wild food to me is like a sign that you might stumble across in the wilderness and it would be pointing in a certain direction. And the direction would be, you know, make things better in all the ways that I've just tried to summarize. Yeah. But in fact, what's happened is, you know, it's it's become a way to fit into the business plan of restaurants and other organizations um, just to basically make more money. Yeah. And look, whilst I understand that a restaurant has to meet the bottom line and all those kind of things, I, I'm increasingly convinced that it's just it is totally illegitimate to do what you do with um, financial profitability as the driving force fundamentally. And, and my concern is that there's all sorts of people out there that, that that are that are flirting with and even wearing a big badge or a big T-shirt or a big hat that says wild food, mm-hmm. you know. And actually, if you were to strip back the layers and say, well, what is actually driving what you do day after day? It would be the the um, you know, the PR and the money, you know, the yeah. the the prominence and the money. Whether whether you can establish yourself as the wild food chef, the this, the that, the other, so that you will then get more bookings in your restaurant or um you know and i have to be careful like the, the same thing it doesn't matter what you're doing i'm trying to move now towards more public speaking and, and and education but if i'm not careful i'm then trying to pedal myself instead of peddling the wild plants yeah. with a view to get more bookings to make the money you know and it's just i think that i think what we've got to what we've got to accept is that you know we're, we're in a toxic environment and some people call it capitalism some people call it neoliberalism uh you could just call it the temptation to be selfish and greedy. But the fact is, when we when we see that in an ecosystem, everything's working together for the good, you know, and the only way that the whole thing thrives is if we keep that thing flowing. So we can't have this individualistic thing that says, you know, I've got to look after number one. That That is that is totally against the flow. The, yeah. the, 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 the driving force has to be, how can we get back in to participation, you know? So... You know, financial gain being the driving force of things is 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 really toxic, and and I'm um, really concerned at the moment that financial gain and and PR in the chefing world has hijacked the whole foraging thing, pretty much. I'm really pissed off about that, and and um, I'm trying to work out how do I make the right move without singling people out and accusing people that, that, that you know, hey, you're doing that. How do we kind of get this thing back on track, basically? I agree and that, that 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 this should be a concern. I and we, we talked about this before. Uh, and but I I still believe that the attention that all the restaurants get is um, is something that you can work with and and push forward to. I mean I I agree that that it's it is a concern that when 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 just solely money is the goal then you'll get in trouble and, and that's not going to be good so but i still think that i mean i i i've got i've gained quite a i think i've gained some sort of position within the last few years and i, I take that very seriously so so i I'd say I work more with um, maybe even like like the top chefs, but somewhere below because people below that sounds different. But but people they're just simply cooking food, like from going from gastronomy to to food and showing people how they can work with it right outside their door, and how they can mean saying if they have like a, I was doing a course last night for. Um, uh, provider for cutlery and cooking gear for their customers and I was just trying to encourage them to use the wild food that's right outside their door 
and not to buy it from me and get it shipped around because that's not about sustainability and that's not about contact with the landscape. That's about hmm, the things that you're addressing with the attention of uh, media and all that. So, but 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 if you can show people how easy it is and kind of maybe I mean and it's it's it will eventually if I get success it will ruin my business but that's all right. And I also see myself more today as, I mean, my for my, the percentage of my business, that's about foraging and the percentage of my business that's about uh, talking and walking and, and I mean, any kind of uh, teaching is way bigger. I mean, that it's like that I still, I still do a lot of foraging, but I also do a lot of talking and walking. I think it's that the motor from, from the restaurant scene is still there and you can use that to get attention but you need to push harder and you need to stand your ground. That's what I'm thinking. And I'm pretty sure that you'll stand your ground and you will not be involved in anything that you don't feel comfortable with. But yeah, uh, me too. Well, I suppose the problem is I do see that, that both you and I have been part of the thing that I'm critiquing here, you know, not, 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 not you know, because the thing is, I think what, what people need is an example of how to, how do we back in? You know, like the, the, people banded this phrase around into the wild, which is based on a film and a book about, yeah, actually, about some poor guy that went out into the wild, not knowing what he was doing mm. very well and, and ended up being so hungry that he died. That's what that book's about, which is not a great association, but it's a, it's a very evocative phrase um, into the wild. But, but the fact that people are talking about getting into the wild presupposes that we're out of it, right? We're actually, you know, and I think what, Ultimately, what we're doing provides um, some answers to the question, you know, how do we get back in? But like, you know, so we want to be back into the biosphere, into 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 a relationship with our surroundings and all of that. But ultimately, the, the, the only useful thing that we can do, I think, is is to actually be an example of of being back in. You know, not a perfect example, but a work in progress example that, that gives a reference point for other people and so that's about a space that we occupy, you know. My concern is with with this sort of stuff um, that that we're talking about, where where it's about PR. Whenever PR is the driving force, it's it's going to be um, trying to create the impression that that you're doing something because of the benefits that will come from um, broadcasting those images or that story or whatever, you know. Maybe I should not be so concerned about that and just let's get on with doing the genuine thing. I don't know. Yeah, well, I do. But what are we doing right now? I think, I hope that we are encouraging people to to think about what they're doing, but also to go out there and be part of it, right? Mm. And and I, I always keep that that perspective in whatever PR kind of thing I do. That's that's always my perspective, and I mean it's not, it's very if ever uh, with people who understands as much as you do. I mean journalists, they in general they don't understand, and they 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 I mean really often I'm trying to yeah then we can you can do this and you can uh, and I just say hey hey back off. I mean you can ask me a question and I answer it. You cannot tell me what to do because you don't understand, and you're a journalist. I'm the clever guy on this subject, so ask the question and I answer. Do you know what I mean? I mean, they, there's an image, and that that image of a forager, and that image has been created by the media and the restaurant scene. And I try to be 
me or something that I believe in and can stand for and not be that guy and that, you know, crazy wild guy. He just knows, you know, do you know what I, I mean? I, I imagine you've been tried to be pulled into to be some sort of image of that as well quite a few times. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I think I think I've managed to commit suicide on that front. You know, when I when I um, so we had this long-standing battle with Natural England, uh, which inspired my best efforts to give our side of the story and see what crooks they'd been, and you know how actually it was the local nuclear power station that was destroying the environment, and we were just benignly picking some leaves that grew back. It just mud seems to stick. You know, we had a thing in the uh, in the independent newspaper saying, you know, Natural England accuses foraging foraging company of of uh damage to the environment or whatever and it just sticks even though the people quoted have since said look i didn't even say that to that journalist that they, they misquoted me mm-hmm. um but it looks like we've 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 lost the interest of a lot of media um yeah. because of that sort of supposed sort of bad guy reputation that that we took on the the, the government conservation guys so therefore we must actually be somehow um the bad guys yeah um, so I, I haven't had so much media interest since then, which, yeah. is, which is probably a good thing because it's just it's it's always the same uh, the the same thing as you suggest there that there's a caricature that gets re reworked. But yeah. I suppose I suppose the thing is what this all boils down to, and it also leads me to be a bit suspicious of of another thing around the wild that's happening a lot in the UK. I don't know if it is in Denmark, but we've got an absolute. There's multiple books come out that's like the new nature writing, it's called. And and I kind of have the same issue with that as I do with 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 all of this PR around restaurants, that it's it's all stuff that's basically working in people's mind and their imagination. And you might say, well, what's wrong with that? Well, I, I just think that it's going to be in the zone of fantasy, basically, an illusion until people's actual bodies are starting to relate to their surroundings you know and so you know even with what wild food are these books uh, about is that about is that no oh, amazing topic therapy kind of thing no it'll be like how does a forest work how do um you know how do flowers work or or looking at the old ways the way people used to live so you know it's it's all great stuff great stuff that you'd want people to be thinking about and and perhaps it will edge people into but but i fear that what they're just going to do is give money to a conservation charity buy more books and watch more nature programs you know maybe they'll go and connect to the wild by by sort of walking around and and looking at the birds or something which which again is something that's great but i just think what we need is an actual shift in our relationship to um our surroundings that's what we need if all of this stuff is leading people in, in to be more likely to do that fine but i fear that it isn't i fear that it is like a kind of voyeurism you know that, that we just think about you know almost like pornography you know that, that 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 your internal drive that could cause you to have a really profound connection with another human being through sex you know that that ends up being something that never never actually causes any contact real contact with people um and i mean if i, if I was to pursue that one a bit further i guess you know pornography ultimately probably doesn't enhance anybody's ability to profoundly connect with other human beings there's something about it whereas it's in that kind of imaginative realm that fantasy realm which which actually is eating away at the core of your ability to to deeply and profoundly connect so 
you know that might sound a bit of a drastic thing, but but I, th I think there's there's a problem with when we we um, we do something in the realm of the imagination. Um, that bridge needs to be uh, that gap needs to be bridged with with people actually eating food and so on. And and and, and you know, same, I have the same issue when when I do foraging walks that I think a lot of the people that come, it's just entertainment. You know, they come to to um, to be inspired about this thing that they can then think about and be inspired about you know mm. so and and it, you know the buck stops with us you know the ball's back in our lap here i'm not you know trying to just i'm kind of ranting invited yeah. you onto my podcast so i can rant at you <laughs> uh, but yeah, right yeah but it but it stops with us you know like we got we said well how do we actually because to me our job is to facilitate the rebonding of of human beings with their places where they are that's it and, and I, I, say, I realize I'm not doing my job properly when all I'm doing is allowing my time to be used so that a chef can put stuff on his menu so that he can seem to be, he can just seem to be more wild, more happening, more on trend, more. Do you know what I mean? I think, well, good grief. How did I manage to get tricked into doing this with my time or taking middle class people from London out for the day to amuse them? How did I get tricked into doing that with my time? Because, you know, I'm responsible to to make good use of my time that actually at the end of the day somebody can check it out and say did you manage to help people rebond with their surroundings and i'm like oh bugger actually no i help people to make money and be entertained so yeah it comes well, back we, to us that like, we, mean, we've got we to do an inventory each other for a while and i know that you have i mean you sometimes i think that you you carry a big burden on your shoulders. I mean, I, I agree that we should think like you, but um, I, I mean, I take middle class people or whoever, kids, rich people, wherever, uh, for walks, and I try to like they they I, I always get the feeling that they 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 want to become me in half an hour. Uh, or like three hours in an afternoon on a walk, but that's not possible. But you can inspire people, and I think that you can inspire people a lot as well. Just show them, and maybe put focus on it like a few plans, and maybe that will be the yeah. opening door. Not not pull off a show of here you are with Miles Irving or Thomas Lawson and see they know everything and be that show. I think it's better to get people close and make them taste it and relate to seasons and pick up a, up a plan themselves and maybe focus on like a, f a few plans instead yeah. of a, a whole shitload of plans and just to, to show off. I used to be a little bit about the showing off because I, I, I like the attention and I'm, I mean, I, I'm older and, and, and it's different. I, I think about my position and how to inspire people. And, um, Since I still believe that the restaurant business uh, is a, a motor to 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 pull and to push this this change, then then I think we should accept to be that that guy. You can be that guy in England, and I can be it here in Denmark to, that brings the wild plants and maybe the chefs show off and pretend to be something which and that they're really not. But I, I I think it's still I think it's still Worth the effort. That's well, I just think we need we need to be able to bring the bring the correction here somehow. At least try, you know, that that the chefs chefs need to be activists in this generation. That's I mean, that's their position 
is yeah. one of being highly influential on public opinion. Yeah. So to waste that opportunity on merely trying to get the accolades and, and you know, extend your career and so on is yeah. really, really missing the point because, you know, it's 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 such a such an amazing opportunity. So I I don't feel I can stand there and accept that, you know, like the the um the PR thing is just a reality and, and that's the way it's gonna be. What if, you know, the chefs um really dig down and say, No, look, I'm gonna make well, you know, Matt Matt, who we had on the other week, is is yeah. a great example for me. There's there's a chef who's 100. percent He sees his um his his role as to to make things better, you know, to, to have that influence, which he credits to Thomas Keller. He said that's that's you got to look at your impact. Mm. That's that's what he says. So I think I think it's just it's just like whose whose voice is being heard the loudest is the problem. And when 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 it when it is um just accepted that that what a chef should do is chase the accolades, you know. You got to be in the fifty best. You got to have three Michelin stars. I think that's that's that thing has just got to be screwed up like a, you know, you started writing something and it was wrong. You screw that piece of paper up and throw it in the bin. It might seem like a good idea at the time, but the fact is that's a corrupting influence. When you do what you do to be seen and get accolades, you are corrupted. You are part of the system that you might think you're going to change by getting those accolades and having a, a big voice, but I'm afraid not. You are not going to change anything because you yourself are corrupted. And that's the point we've all got to get to. You know, we've got to we've got to get to the point where those temptations of fame and money they don't kill us anymore. And 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 I think you know until you've reached that point, you haven't reached that point. And 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 until you have reached that point, you've got nothing to teach anyone. Actually, you're just going to make them as sick as you are. So anyway, I think it's great what you said there about um, just teaching a few plants, though, because that's that. Sorry, yeah, we we're going to respond to that. Yeah, well, well I agree that Meadowlander is uh, is the best example, maybe in the world, to, for for that being willing to 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 put everything in there. And uh, that I mean, he, he's my he's not my best customer anymore, fortunately, because he's too good at reusing and not turning <laughs> out. <laughs> That's the trouble. Did you, did you, did you, I can't remember. I mean, I've sold him quite a lot of watercress, but now he grows the watercress because he used the stems with the root and he put that in his poly water, water. system. So now he doesn't buy my watercress anymore. He's a farmer. <laughs> so I, I, I've been talk, talking to him about threatening him with putting on a Meadowland of tax because he reused <laughs> everything too much. <laughs> so, That's but, so funny. Uh, yeah, but I mean, his restaurant. I mean, I mean his his food and his style and whatever he he does, alongside the impact that I think that he's getting more and more impact in a lot of places. I mean, he's the most impressive chef right now. I would say, even though he's not as good business as he used to be, but that I'll live with that. But the beauty is, why is he so impressive? Because he's not trying to impress. Exactly. That's the paradox. Yeah. yeah everybody's exactly. got to say, oh, how could I try not to impress so I'll be more impressive? Sorry. <laughs> doesn't work like that. No, no. You, yeah. I, you know I mean, it's, it's, the, more, the more and more time to think about, I mean, I, I, I'm a trained teacher. I've been working as a teacher, and I think I'm using... Oh, yeah, you didn't mention that. You didn't mention that in your intro. That's that's no. that's very important. Yeah. Yeah, well, I used to work as a teacher. I've been teaching kids both cooking and biology and lots of things, and... I think more and more. I, I, that's. 
I'm, I'm reusing those skills or whatever you call it. Um, and, and I mean, I, 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 I try to go pretty close to people. Like, I mean, even inside their intimacy sphere, not physically, but like I go close. So what can you do? So what are you doing? Why are you doing that? And then, and then my, my, my focus is always the change. Mm. I mean, I can, I can put away um, any of my own uh, idiosyncrasies or beliefs. I mean, no, not all of my beliefs, are because there is a goal. And that's, of course, based on my belief. Um, but I, 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 I can go for that, and I can look at that certain person and, and try to work with them. I mean, I mean, and that's, I mean, it's manipulation or it's, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to take them somewhere that they don't know. Maybe they don't want to go there, but I'm trying to, and I, I'll, I'll use whatever tools that, that, that I, I know to, to go to get, to get to that point. And so I'm, I think I'm, if I look upon my life from maybe from somewhere in the 90s and up, and then I've been like working with food and then became a teacher and then in incorporating food and foraging in my teaching. I mean, I, w I was teaching when I became a teacher in 2001. I, I, my, my final exam was a collaboration, was sort of a combination of um, cooking and uh, biology. And I only used wild ingredients. Uh, something that I caught or collected and picked and foraged um, from wherever and I made a menu with that and I tried to sort of articulate all the perspectives of uh, perspectives of how you could change the, the, the cooking in school. We have cooking in school in Denmark and, and, and how you could have gardens re in, in relation to, to the schools and that could be part of the teaching, how we could incorporate, I mean, whatever being it uh, language or math or whatever. I mean, I, I'm working... Um, that's a big thing in Danish schools that you work with the the, the, the topics on, on on crossing. So you you teach math with English and with cooking or with biology. Sort of uh, have a different perspective on on the teaching. And I mean I've, I I don't I haven't done all possible combinations, but more or less. Um, and I think I use these things more and more in in my work. And I think I. I think it's, I mean, wherever I have someone on a walk and I, I, I would give them stuff and by now people trust me. I have an appearance apparently that, that people trust me. So if I hand them something that's edible, they just eat it. And then I ask them afterwards often to pick it up themselves and eat it. And to a lot of people, that's like, like a physical and mental barrier to cross, to go down there on their knees to pick up a plant and eat it themselves. And I think whenever people have done that just once, they're open to more. I mean, and then if I, I more and more I do, I try to do the walks with people where they are, where they live or where they're situated or where they work or whatever, depending on the, the setup and not to go in into the wild, but get it as close to where they are. Because I, I believe that that's how you can change people because then it'll go back to that exact plant and pick a few leaves from that one because that's more, that, that feels more comfortable than to refinding that plant in another environment. Yeah. I, 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 all my walks these days, I start sit, and then I'll get down on my knee and, and, and I'll find whatever plants 
are right there and I'll point out the, the trees and the bushes around in the distance. And sometimes that, that would be 25 plants and we haven't left the parking spot yet. Yeah. I mean, obviously we wouldn't forage often from that area, but I can point out all the wild plants in that area. And that kind of, I, I, the best way for me to describe it is that I, I, I take people to a place that they know and then I change it. And now mm. it's a different place. And yeah. then I think that they will be more motivated to to meet that place or meet nature with more empathy and interest. And hopefully that will change their perspective on how they eat and buy and act in the whole world. Yeah, no, I mean, I can see you thinking very carefully about how you do it just so that it does actually do what, what you're setting out to do, i.e., change yeah um and i agree like doing the doing the few plants i mean i did i did a thing at um a festival weekend before last um and one of my walks i showed people two plants <laughs> wow we how, did, how did they respond to that well it just i just stood there and did did nettles for for half an hour i mean it, it was because nobody would join in almost so we did eat a raw nettle which meant squashing the nettle leaf yeah. and passing it around and there were 40 people there at least so mm -hmm. i had to squash 40 nettle leaves but it meant there was a lot of dialogue you know i was talking the whole time it's partly why it took so long but you know we talked about that nettle leaf that we were squashing and the hows and wherefores and and whatever yeah and then we moved on to nettle seeds yeah and we spent ages on nettle seeds yeah and then uh then we went on to plantain and we talked about what you could do with with a plantain leaf eating yeah. it and what you could do with a plantain leaf as medicine and we looked at the plantain seeds and that was it it was an hour long it was just an hour but we did two <laughs> plants in an hour because i thought well there's no way these people don't have plantain and nettles in their surroundings no and by the time i've finished they will know two plants that they can pick from their surroundings and and, yeah. and i think for for like uh everybody um just needs to get started with 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 one i think if if, yeah. if you were habitual about one like nettles or, or plantain that would get you started and you're bound to learn another one um yeah um, i think that's how you should start i mean i i uh, people always often say to me so oh, i don't know anything about wild food and i said well you know berries you know wild apples do you know nettle how about ground elder and they always to all the like it's easy to go five maybe ten plants that people feel comfortable and recognize they say well it's all food and i'll 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 sort of take that plant and talk about all the things that you can do with it i mean instead of taking all the plants and do the same things with it put it on the top of a piece of fried fish then I mean, then what can you do with nettles? Well, you can dry them, you can fry them, you can smoke them, you can grill them, you can ferment them. You can do so many things with them. Oh, and it has a seed too. Then we can go for that. I mean, then it's easy to stand there <laughs> to talk half an hour about the nettles because there are a lot of things to say about nettles and everybody knows nettles. Um, yeah, so it's it's a good it's a good perspective too. I mean, and, and nettles are abundant. I mean, exactly. I, think... I just think you're stacking the odds. The more we can stack all the odds in favour of, of of those people, actually um, getting to know the place that, that that where they're living in 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 this way of participating and and, and actually eating something. That's that's just yeah. I mean, I, I've started saying, listen, let me tell you what I want to get out of this. 
Yeah. I want you to be able to um, eat some stuff from near where you are tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And, yeah. and everything I'm saying is trying to make it more likely that when you go home, you're going to you be able to do that. Listen, Thomas, I wanted to bring back the, the uh, conversation to, to where it started, because I'd love you to say a bit more about that ant story. Oh, yeah? Um, yeah. Because, because I think it's kind of fun. Could you could you tell everybody how you how you harvest the orange carpenter ant? <laughs> yeah, I can. Well, there are. I mean, ants are ants are not just ants. An orange carpenter ant is a special ant that it has enzymes so it can break down so, uh, the inside of a tree. So it makes a nest inside um, oak trees, often or willow or different trees. Always broadleaf trees, I would say. Um, and then they, um, they have the nest in there, and then they have all the worker ants that they keeps uh, lice in the on the leaves, and they protect them against predators. And then for so that's what we call those aphids, actually aphids. Aphids. You use that word for it. A p h i d s or green fly and black fly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And 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 then they. Um, they collect the the sugars from the butt of the of the did you say aphids aphids yeah yeah uh, and bring it back into the nest so i try to get the the ants that are going back into the nest because they're sweeter because they've collected all the sugars that's clever so, stuff so 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 they they taste differently and, and i mean to begin with, the first time that I collected these ants, I, I didn't know about that. I thought there were like two generations or big ants and small ants. I could just tell the difference. Some of them were bigger. You can actually, see, I mean, literally, they can be almost twice the size. And that's because yeah. they're swollen with this this uh, sweet stuff from the aphids. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So 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 they will taste uh, sweeter, and they you can see that their skeleton is sort of expanded, so they get sort of a white stripe because the yeah. They show off sort of the, the insides, so they look kind of a little bit different. Um, so I collect them and I use this old tool that, that's been used in biology teaching, which is like, it's like a vacuum machine that you sort of, you suck on one end uh, of a tube that that's, it goes into a, a small uh, glass, uh, a closed glass, and then on the other and you have a little bit of piece of uh, cloth to protect your you, you, that you don't get dust and ant ants inside yeah, your. Yeah, so you don't breathe the ants in. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I once I, I, I so so the other one doesn't have that cloth, and so that's sort of the that's the vacuum tube that you use. You suck in one end, and then you put that tube towards the ants, and you suck them in. And I I've tried reversing them, so I've had ants inside my lungs. Uh, ah. that's yeah, you don't want that. Uh, I think I got them out. I might have one down there. I don't know. It's a few years ago. So, but actually, that that's probably kind of dangerous. Um, anyway, so so that's how I did, and and I've been working on and talking a lot about using different sort of techniques or machines. I, I have one electric machine that sort of it's been made for to collect. Um, spiders for people <laughs> in their homes and it kind of works but it it's really hard because you get a lot of dust in there and you mm. get i mean so it's easier to do it like the one by one version um i mean they're kind of aggressive so you can sometimes if it's at a sunny day when they're really so they, they they are more active when they are warm 
Yeah. Um, so if you kind of annoy them a little bit and put your hand uh, your hand in there, they'll crawl on your hand, and then you can brush them off uh, into a bucket or whatever. Um, but I mean, yeah, I do that too. It depends on the spot. Depends on where they where they are. Sometimes you can find them in in places near to humans when they walk on like. Uh, cobblestones or something then they're easy to collect without i mean you can clean the area that they walk because they walk on a on the exact same path out and back so so you can you can uh, you can collect them easier on, on like if they walk on on a path or a pathway so yeah that's how i collect them well that's cool i mean this is making me think because um so we have that species of ant in our garden at home yeah but I don't know that much about it, and I've just learned something. I've always wondered where the nest was. So we've we've got um, we've got a couple of trees that must be in one or other of the trees. But one is what you one do is, a... is you, you you follow the big ones. Yeah. You see which way they're walking. And you just follow them. They'll they'll show you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and they come all the way across the garden. So, but but I assume now that they see. I wasn't sure they. I've seen them coming right across the garden. So they come to yeah. this big flower bed. Yeah. Um. But I wasn't sure whether they're coming to the flower bed because that's where the nest is, and then the other end of the garden is a tree. So you've answered that question. Yeah. So I mean, the, the nest might be in your neighbor's garden. You never know. I'll, I'll investigate. Yeah. So I used to have them in in my garden. That's where I found them. I used and and I used to believe that they were pretty not rare, but 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 not easy to find. And now I know that they're. And now I'm quite good at finding them. I I find I can find them. Not everywhere, but I can. I find them in a lot of spots, so yeah. I, I know where to look. I mean, it's not one of the things I can spot from the highway yet, <laughs> <laughs> but but I, can, I I know that I know the the environment that they like, um, and I know which trees to go to. But it's basically like you need to go to the trees and look. Sometimes you can see them on the trees, but they can have the path on the backside of the tree, so you kind of need to walk around every tree when you look for them if you. Mm -hmm. Right space, but of course you have them. I mean, they're probably yeah, but it's it's a hard one to collect in in quantities. But I would say you just need. I mean, to me, it's a dessert ant, and and you need just like five six uh, on each serving. That would make a huge impact. It's like having a, a little piece of orange zest on, and it really enhances flavor. And I, I really like them with berries. So orange carpenter and and uh, strawberries that's a perfect combination wow i would unless we're talking about a different ant which i'm pretty sure we're on the same page mm. um don't they taste like coriander hmm i've heard chefs saying that but i would say they're orange peel ginger and lemon okay um yeah way more than coriander but i've heard people saying that but uh i mean i i, I to be honest i don't really get the coriander Okay, yeah, so what then, comes through to me, but I can see the connection with orange peel. That, yeah. that does make sense. And the, I mean, you really want them to be eaten with something that has a little bit of water in it, because or else in, in your throat, it, it kind of annoys a little bit back. Uh, but as long as you're eating with something that contains water, it's it's nice. It doesn't it doesn't come. But if you, I mean, if you're out there and collecting them and you eat a few, you can get it. I mean, it's not bad, but just a slight irritation back in your throat. I've never really, you know, the the, the wood ants. I, I've stood there and really gorged on them, but the um, yeah. these ones, I've only ever sort of, yeah, taken a couple. But but yeah. but we we see them all the time in the summer. And and here's here's the thing, like 
They mentioned just now that they go between these trees and, and the flower bed at the other side of the garden. Yeah. Well, last year, we, we just happened to have a hose that was left running across the, the garden. Well, the ants soon figured that one out, and they used it as their highway. Yeah, yeah. It's easier than climbing up and down blades of grass to get across the lawn. So they, they were just trekking up and down this... Um, this pipe and we actually made a short youtube video about it and called it the ant the ant highway it's quite it's quite fun that that would be a good trick to get them well that it's only listening to you has made me think of that but what we should do is is lift the lift the lift the pipe up and shake them off but i put I it have, down and they're probably going to walk on it again yeah because they put their put their pheromone trail down won't they that, yeah yeah probably I mean, that's a good, I, I'm learning too. I get, I'm getting inspired because they, they I mean, they're, they're, they're clever animals. They, they, they would like, I mean, just imagine uh, uh, a forest bed walking and being an ant and having to walk 50 meters. Yeah. That's like, I mean, it'd be easier for me to, to get to you. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, because every, uh, every, every inch you've got to climb up and down a leaf or a stone or a yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Five times I mean, the distance once you've got up and like down. A, a, a spruce forest after a, a storm with all the trees falling down, and then you have to cross five kilometers, like up and down and under. And I mean, even uh, with dangers of things falling down or not being solid. And but they just, they just, they're crazy. They just crack on regardless. So yeah, maybe we need to be more like an ant too. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I'm, I'm it's important to hear about how you get how you work out with the uh, with the the ants. I, I I'm not sure I have any in my garden currently. Uh, last summer I have I had some, and then but but then they I think they changed their path. They tend to do that. I've seen that before. They might because then maybe there's like a, a plum tree with a lot of sugars in it, and then they I, I'm not sure if they move uh, there cattle so to speak but but uh, they change the paths in, in, in for, from time to time I tried to move an entire nest once um, and I found them a nice place and I, I dug it up and tried to get the queen and I dug up maybe I don't know somewhere between five and twenty thousand ants put it into a wheelbarrow and I ran 400 meters to, to another place and I put it there and they were there for three weeks and then they ran away Ah. Yeah, so I didn't mind. But apparently it's possible to move. I, I know uh, a guy um, who, who works with uh, with ants on a scientific level, and he, he's managed to work, but that would be the Formica rufa, the, the red wood That's ant. That's what we work with more. We, we call that wood ant. And, yeah. yeah. So apparently they're possible to move because they're, he's trying to work with them as a... A, a, for pest control and uh, like because they're apparently they're pretty good to to keep um yeah in, instead of whatever pesticides they they, they would uh, be using then they use this and, and it's a, in, it's in a apple yard and um apparently it's it's i think it's working but it's still it's in it's work in progress and, and test i don't know i'm not sure if they have their final results that but they're working on it if you have anything about that that they've they've uh, put online it'd be good to have that for the yeah. show notes as it were check it out yeah I, I, I need to speak him another on another note in in a in a week or so so i'll ask him how, how it's going but I, I mean i just think this is this is an example i mean i know there's vegans out there and i, I personally know vegans who, who pretty upset with me that we harvest and sell ants 
But um, and I guess you have to respect that position of uh, wanting to do no harm. But um, you know, just this conversation we shows could, that you and I have engaged with the wonderful time. world of ants purely because we've got more involved on the basis of having a restaurant that wanted to buy them. And I think that's a that's a really important thing. You know, that that the, the commercialization of something. Mm-hmm. Much as I've kind of aired what I feel the frustrations and the downside of that are. You know, the fact is that when human culture uh, engages with something, whether it's through commercialization or, or just people's private interest, all of a sudden we're back in. You know, you, you and I are paying attention, we're learning, and we probably, in the long run, will have perspectives on ants that even the um, the entomologists, the professional ant guys, wouldn't have noticed that because, you know, they'll have a particular project. They won't necessarily be revisiting orange carpenter ants year after year after year after year. No, in the way that you are when you're harvesting them. So I think, yeah, that's pretty interesting stuff. Yeah. Well, we've we've talked for ages, so I know we could yeah. just carry on talking for ages, but pr- probably probably our listeners will draw the line at a three-hour podcast. So um, <laughs> yeah, uh, we're we're building them up to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool. Well, it's been uh, nice talking to you. Always inspiring. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's really really good, Thomas. It's really good to catch up and um, chew the fat. You're always welcome here. Anytime I'll show you ant tricks or whatever, and probably I'll learn a thing or two or five or yeah. more from you. Yeah. It's been nice catching up. Thanks for thanks for being with us. Anytime. Thank you for joining us for this week's Worldwide podcast. And I'd just like to point you to the, the show notes. Perhaps some of you that are coming in through Apple Podcast or any of these other providers, um, might not yet be aware but you can go to forager.org.uk forward slash podcast and um there's also a link to to a blog i did to explain when we launched the podcast it's um be good for people to see that if you if you if you want to hear a bit more background and um as i said last week do please get in touch um if you'd like to share any thoughts spurred by what, what you've heard or you've got any comments or you just want to say hello and let us know where you are and um, why you're interested in, in, in what we're doing. We'd, we'd love to have a sense where at some point, I guess we'll start some kind of community page that will provide uh, a way for people that are listening to interact. That would be nice. Okay, so that's it for this week's World Wild Podcast. Podcast.